on. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rowing Through Menopause. We're really delighted to have everybody here. It's been a really, really interesting journey getting together this show for all of you today. I'm Rebecca Caro from Faster Masters Rowing, and as usual, I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Marlene, welcome. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing audience for this special webinar series. We're really excited about it. Now, I have a confession to make, which is that I shared the wrong email link in the first email that I sent around 40 minutes ago. There is a corrected email link that should send you to YouTube. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite people to leave this and go back to your inbox, find the corrected link, and please rejoin watching us on our YouTube channel. Um, I'm sorry that I'm going to do this because otherwise it really upsets things. So um, please, could you look back in your email and find the correct link? It is to YouTube, not to StreamYard. Now, we have an amazing sponsor who has agreed to help support us through this three menopause talks that we're going to be doing on these three consecutive weeks. And it is NK Sports. They're a name that I'm sure you all know well already. Attention all masters rowers, if you're looking for an edge in your training and performance on the water, NK Sports has what you need. They specialize in creating tools and instruments for rowing and paddling designed to help athletes improve their game and assist coaches in getting better performance. NK has a really wide range of products to fit all your needs from the stroke coach to the speed coach, GPS to the Impala or Lock. Whether you're looking to track your speed and distance, monitor your power output or receive real-time feedback on your stroke rate, NK Sports has you covered. Take your training to the next level. Go to the website, nksports.com, to find out more. Now, when Marlene and I were planning our year with Faster Masters, we have long wanted to do a webinar on menopause and how it affects us in our rowing. And today is the very first day. We are so pleased to have everybody with us today to welcome our guest, Clarissa Christensen. Hey, Clarissa. Hey there, both Rebecca and Marlene. I'm so delighted to be here and thank you so much for inviting me. And to all of you there, I'm just thrilled. I'm very passionate about menopause, so I can't wait to talk to you about it. Before we get started, to all of the people who have clicked onto the StreamYard link, please can you go back to your emails and find the corrected link? It is YouTube. I'm going to remove you from the studio and you need to go back and watch on our YouTube channel. So sorry for being firm about this. And I'm going to interrupt again probably in a couple of minutes, Clarissa, if more people join. So go back to your email and find the corrected link. Molly. Hello, Clarissa. So welcome. What I thought I would, I'd like to do first is give a little bit of an overview of our audience and what they told us when, when they were registering. And um, when, when people were registering, we asked the audience to classify themselves. And 10.9% said they didn't know whether they had reached menopause. 24.6% said they were perimenopause. 37.5% said that they were postmenopause. 24% said they were right in the middle. And 2.9% said they don't know or it doesn't, it doesn't apply to them. So we've got a pretty, pretty good mix of obviously different age groups and people at different, different stages in their life. And uh, perhaps for those people who are listening on YouTube, go to the corrected link in your email. Um, please, you know, if you can jump in the chat, why don't you tell us, tell us what stage of, of menopause are you? Are you perimenopause, postmenopause, or some somewhere in the middle? And that'll probably help frame our conversations a little bit. Um, 
so everybody yep. can you go check your email the link is wrong you're looking for a corrected link email not this one so uh, if you've joined recently please just go and check thanks okay it sounds like we're in business here well clarissa you are a neuroscientist and an internationally known menopause educator and a health coach Tell us a little bit about your background and how, how you got where you are today. Yeah, well, what a great question. So I am definitely post-menopausal for those of us who are putting ourselves in boxes because I'm 63. So that, that kind of is over for me. But um, I went into perimenopause, which I'm, I'll tell you more about the stages, but that's really the stage when we have all those roller coaster symptoms and wonder what on earth is going on. And I would have been about 43. Mm. And I had no idea what was going on. And I had a lot of messy stuff going on in my life too, which is normal for many of us at this age. I was, my mom had dementia. I had a small child. And we might come to the fact that we aren't all with teenage children that are like, you know, 25 these days, but some of us have quite small children. And my marriage was going down the pan. So, you know, how did oh, I know yeah. that I was in perimenopause? You know, if the world could have turned upside down, it did. And I um, was juggling a lot of things. I had all these symptoms. I put on weight. And then I got a tremendous amount of anxiety. And really from that, I crashed and burned at about 50. Uh, and that's when I started my journey to put my life back together. I went and did a lot of holistic health, got my exercise and my diet right, and I started to feel a lot better. Now, I never went on hormone therapy, but we will talk a bit about that later down the line. And then when I left corporate, I um, started to find that uh, I had a lot of women who came to me, and I was working as a mindfulness practitioner then, and suddenly there were all these women who were midlife like me saying, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I'm putting on weight. I, I'm very anxious. Um, I don't know what's going on. And I tied the two together. And then I qualified as a menopause holistic health coach. And there we are. And that became my last sort of seven years has been totally dedicated to menopause. Wow, that's, that's probably a very familiar journey for many people just to not understand what is going on. How come all of a sudden I've gained this weight? How come I don't, I don't feel like I used to feel a couple years ago? And, uh, and you know, no, not, people weren't really talking about this very much. And I, you know, I think that's the, it's wonderful that it's coming out in the open and that we have so many rowers who are, are connecting with this message. Yeah, exactly. You know, I just want to say a big figure here. One in eight people, not women, one in eight people in the world are menopausal. So there's more than a billion of us. We are a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You know, and I, I just want to say to you, you're not alone. There are women all over the world going through this. And we're going to see more of that because we're aging populations. And really, that's coming online in India and China. So although a lot of the menopause conversation today is North America, Australasia, and, and, and particularly the UK, and some parts of Europe, it's really going to become and is becoming a global conversation, uh, because there's so many of us. But of course, we're quite confused. Are they, you know, in what is menopause? So today I want to demystify what is menopause? Answer questions like, how do I know I'm in menopause? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how long does it last? And what am I supposed to be looking for? Because I think those are the things that we often want to ask. And please put in the chat, guys, questions that are coming up for you about about menopause and what's baffling you. But I, I thought I might stop because we had a very interesting breakdown there of, of what, and I would say to you that 44% of people don't know whether they're in perimenopause or in menopause. And you kind of go, oh, wow. 
we we don't actually know and a lot of the time what we're doing is we're using the word menopause and we've done that here but we use this overarching term that's menopause but really what are we talking about we're talking about a number of stages and menopause of course can happen at any time so these stages are not tied to our age and that and that's what i want to get across here too so you can be pre-menopause which is obviously we're having our periods whatever they are for us and then we go into perimenopause and perimenopause is when we get all those symptoms um, that that people talk about and a lot of the conversation on social is about perimenopause and then we go into menopause but what is menopause menopause is one day 365 days you've gone without a period it's just one day it's that day which says yay tick i've done 12 months without a period so if you go 364 or 65 it's a leap year and you have your period sorry you're still in perimenopause <laughs> and then menopause is this one day and then we are post-menopause but i know for some of you in the us you sometimes interchangeably use the words menopause or post-menopause but basically after that last period you're in this post-menopause as i call it phase for the rest of your life so those are the three stages we need to pay attention to perimenopause menopause and post-menopause but when does menopause start and how long does it last? I'm sure many people of you have those questions. So menopause, going into perimenopause, as we should call it, can happen at, well, any time. You know, there are girls, and I really do mean girls who are like teenage girls, who can go straight into menopause. And that's a genetic thing. I mean, they're very, very small percentage, but they certainly do exist. And then there's a lot of us who can go into perimenopause or straight into menopause because of things like surgical or chemical reasons. So if you have cancer, if you have to have your whole um, womb removed, then you will go into perimenopause, sometimes straight into menopause. If you had a full hysterectomy, you would wake up after that operation and you would be in menopause and you would be given hormone replacement therapy if you were a younger woman to help you manage a rather sharp transition. And then there is about 5% of women who go into early menopause. Now that's classified as under 40, uh, but you know some of us go into perimenopause in our early 40s quite naturally so and after that it's all of us there is average ages like perimenopause is average 45 menopause average 51 but you know it all depends and i'll talk more in a bit about the factors that actually determine um where you are but there is no age so just bear that in mind so the that's what's important is there is no particular age for, for being in menopause so that's the, the first kind of over, overview like that but then well how long does it last that's a question I'm sure people have well how long does this thing last well for many of us perimenopause will last for about five to six years but it does depend on key factors and it does depend on something particularly your ethnicity so there's a massive study in the US called the SWAN study. And the SWAN study has shown that uh, women of an Asian origin uh, are likely to have much shorter um, perimenopause years. So about four to five years, whereas women of an Afro-American background and Hispanic women it's very typical for them to be in perimenopause sort of between eight to 10 years and even longer. And there is also um, a difference in the severity of symptoms that they can have depending on your ethnicity. 
So those are some of the factors, you know, you're, that can come into play. And there are some other factors into the type of menopause you have and how long it lasts. And they really fall into three buckets. First is your own health. Your own health and well-being will determine your menopause, when it starts, how severe it is. And that is things like your physical health. Obviously, we talked about whether you'd had surgery or had cancer. There's also other factors that can come into play here. So those things can also be your mental health. That will determine the kind of menopause you have. And I'd say to you, if any of you in this audience have struggled with postpartum depression or you've had depression and anxiety previously in your life, then you need to be particularly uh, watchful because that can actually come back and come back quite severely in the menopause years. And I would say that if that's you, you should be seeking support from people who are mental health professionals uh, who are specialised in menopause. So those are some of the factors there. But then there is a whole host of other factors that can determine the menopause you have. Obviously, your lifestyle. Um, for those of you here, you're active and fit, so you're exercising. But for other women, you know, exercise has to dial up because a lot of women don't exercise. And that's a key factor. The weight you are, the amount of stress you're under. And of course, things like alcohol and smoking tend to have um, adverse impacts on your menopause. And then there's this thing that quite often you don't hear people talk about, but I talk about and, and a few others, is the sociocultural factors. So those are things like, are you living in a society that is uh, gendered in a ageism? So there's a, you know, women who are getting older are devalued, are seen as not of having great value. That's going to impact how you feel about menopause. And we're also going to um, see things like trauma and stress. And we as women are under much more trauma and stress than many than men. And that can come back. And particularly things like adverse childhood experiences can come back. And I understand now that a lot of the anxiety that I experienced was related to some of the trauma that I'd gone through as a little girl due to things in my family. And so being aware of those and working on those is important. Also, how much community and support do you have? I was quite shocked at some of the stats. 70% of women, I think up until recently, have no one to talk about, about their menopause. So for you, community, coming together, talking with girlfriends, trusted family members, which is really important, helps you to stay supported and not feel that you're going through this alone and thinking, oh, am I, am I the only one? Am I going mad? Is there something wrong with me? But when we have community, we can talk about menopause. And, you know, that's why I'm so glad we're doing this, because talking to you guys here about menopause means we're a community. And I'm so grateful to Rebecca and Marlene as well for, for creating this. So those are some of the factors that are here around what menopause is. And maybe before we talk really about managing, let's talk about the symptoms. How many symptoms are there of menopause? Put it in the chat. How many of you, how many do you, symptoms do you think there are? We, we, have a, we have a few listed here. We have a few listed here. <laughs> like I wish I wish I could sleep better and not go get so many hot flashes. Um, Susan writes, when do hot flashes ever stop? I'm now age 77. Brenda says, I've heard other women in their 70s having continued hot surges. I'm 67 and still have some. Depends for me on stress levels. Yeah, some good points there. Well, yeah, hot flashes coming up. They are the most common. I hate to tell you, but 80% of us are going to have a hot flash. And a lot of those come towards the end of perimenopause as we go into menopause. 
rather than early. I mean, there obviously will be some people, but about 70% of us will have them later. And yes, they can continue. They're one of those joys that don't go away sometimes. And they can obviously be hot flashes and night sweats, which are very difficult to manage. But more and more, we're beginning to recognize that there's a difference between how prevalent a, a symptom is to how qualitatively or or how it affects the quality of our lives, should I say. And that's where you've met, we've mentioned some of you sleep deprivation. That is the thing that impacts the quality of our life the most. Then it is fatigue, which is different. It's when we just feel, oh, I haven't got any energy. What's going on? Um, our weight can really bother us. The fact that we're putting on mm. this weight that doesn't shift. And, and a lot of these things like weight are actually important because they have potentially long-term health impacts. So we need to be, be conscious of that. And after that, we are also seeing things like brain fog. I get that a lot, like, you know, and especially if we're working and we can't remember things at work, it, that's when people start to judge us because we still live in a world where not everybody understands much about menopause in the wider world. And then it's painful sex because our relationships matter to us. And, and if, if sex is painful, it impacts our sense of ourselves, our confidence, and obviously our relationship with our partner. So how many symptoms are there? Well, officially there is about 34 but there are some people who run around saying there are 200. Oh, dear. <laughs> but that, that, look, I think I'll take my, my cue from Dr. Anise Mukherjee. She's a wonderful, world-acclaimed endocrinologist. And she said, you know, we can't go around blaming everything that happens to us on menopause. You know, we can't say it's, it's all to do with menopause because we are really juggling, like I was. I'm sure many of you are juggling tons of stuff in your life. And stress and also our thyroid and the fact we're aging. So, no, well, no, we don't think 200, but somewhere between 30 and 35, 40 seems pretty reasonable to me. And there are some weird ones that people get. Smelly feet, uh, ringing ears. Um, sometimes, you know, we get itchy skin, things we don't expect, and they can definitely be related to our fluctuating hormones. So that might be a pretty quick overview on what menopause is and, and big and complicated. So my advice to you, if you're in menopause, is, is, is read up on these things. Get gendered up because that's how we're empowered if we read it. And, and I think, managing. yes, we'll, go we'll, ahead, talk, we'll go into managing, but I, I think the other thing is, is it is important to understand how to manage these symptoms because there is hope. You know, you don't, you have, <laughs> if you understand what is happening, you don't feel like you're in, in the position of a victim. You just have to understand that there is a, probably a chemical and, and endocrinological, <laughs> I can say that word, but there, there are reasons why things are happening. And the more you understand about that, you know, and, and many of our viewers are racers and competitors. And, you know, when you get really nervous before a race and your adrenaline is through the roof, you know, if you understand what's happening and you understand that your body's getting prepared to go into some challenge, it's much easier to manage that. And I think it's the same with, with many of these symptoms and because it's so different and the the range of the severity is so different for for every individual absolutely i mean everybody will have their own menopause journey that's without doubt um because of all these cat factors that i mentioned i mean there's just so many so i think my number one piece of advice in managing is you do you you know, whatever, whatever anybody is saying on Instagram and TikTok and the like, you should do this, you should do that. The answer is you do you. And you need, if you want to go down a hormone therapy or menopause hormone treatment route, you have, choose that route if that's right for you. If your symptoms are very severe, you've got to do something about them. We've got to be able to live and put one foot in front of the other. Um, if you 
don't want to take hormone therapy, that's fine too. There's no judging of that. And no one should be allowed to judge you because that's a choice you've made. And of course, some of people are in the middle. Some people have estrogen-based cancers. They take drugs like tamoxifen and HRT is not advised. So for managing menopause, you your first port of call is to decide and to get ginned up on what you want to do. Yeah, that's your first point of call. If you want to manage menopause with the support of hormone therapy, the first thing I would say, because obviously I'm not a doctor, so I can't advise you on whether you should take this or that or whatever, but you need to go to a qualified menopause clinician. So it's highly likely that your local clinician isn't very gend up. You might be lucky, but they might not be. You know, they don't get a lot of training in med school. I mean, you know, much as I, you know, respect clinicians, but a general practitioner is a general practitioner. So that find somebody who is qualified to, to be a menopause expert and can give you expert advice. And the place you find those is in your menopause societies. There's a North American, there's an Australian, there's a British menopause, and there's others around the world. And go there and look there. They will have guidelines that are based on scientific evidence, and they will have references to clinicians in your area that you can contact. And there's lots of controversy around hormone therapy. I mean, we've been through a phase where there was a big study that showed it was dangerous. Now that's been turned over. But there are risks and there are guidelines for reasons. And if you follow the guidelines in your menopause societies um, written there, you'll be in a good place. Now, there are women who maybe start on hormone therapy and it doesn't work for them. Sometimes it doesn't happen instantly. I don't think that you take it and the next day you feel better. There's a building up of it. Sometimes you have to keep having it checked and managed and doses adjusted. That's what a clinician should be doing with you. And after that, there are some women that don't get on with it. And for them, sometimes antidepressants work better. I know that we don't want clinicians to give us antidepressants and gaslight us and send us away. But there are women who get some really good results with antidepressants and not with HRT because we're individuals. So my message to you out there is work that out, decide, give it a go, get supported. Uh, but if you don't want to, you know, I've said that's that's great too. And actually only about 14 or 15% of women today are on hormone replacement therapy. And, and a lot of what you have will depend on whether you have a womb or you don't have a womb and you've had a hysterectomy, but then you'll only need estrogen if you've had a full hysterectomy. Usually women are on estrogen and progesterone. And testosterone is a can of worms at the moment. So yeah. one, I'm not going to open because I'm not an expert, but I would say there's a lot of research coming so that there's more definitive support that can be given. But what can we do otherwise? Because that's the other part where you're empowered and you're in control, right, is managing your symptoms yourself. And that's where lifestyle is absolutely critical. You know, Exercise and particularly, and most of you, I would think, as being competitive rowers, are strength exercising anyway. And I know you're going to have a session talking a lot more about that, but that is it. And there's a really good reason for that because as we age, our muscle mass goes down, and the decline in estrogen as we go through this time of life is going to accelerate that muscle mass loss. So we we must weight train. It's probably the number one thing over and over cardio. But diet is so critical in this too. It's absolutely fundamental. We need to be upping the amount of protein we need. We need to be eating lots of fiber-rich food because, you know, good old estrogen slows down the gut. And that's why, we gut, that's why we get gut issues. A lot of women will say, I've got IBS or bloating or, or indigestion or I can't eat this food or that food. And that's because the gut is slower. And obviously, if we don't eat enough fiber, then we're not going to have the gut moving. We're not going to help our gut microbiome, those helpful bacteria. And there's a whole special group of them in there called an estrobilome. 
and they are really important for helping us to process estrogen properly from our both the estrogen that's in our body and the estrogen that's coming in in the form of what's called phytoestrogens. So they are nature's little goodies that um, that we can take in things like linseeds um, and and various vegetables have estrogens uh, and soy, of course. And I would recommend that you take soy in its fermented form, like tamari and tofu and soy sauce rather than eating soy as a bean and probably also because it's not always terribly good it's got gmos <laughs> in it so yeah <laughs> i would say try if you're going to do that these are all things and you want to be getting those sorts of things in so a great thing i say to people who work with me is you know if you're having uh, lunch and maybe you're having a salad at lunch Chuck a handful of edamame beans in. That's a really good thing to do to get your eyes aflavins. Sprinkle some flaxseed on your on your breakfast cereal. That's really important. So what we eat and how we eat matters. Supplements do matter. Things like omega-3 fatty acids in the form of like fish oil or, or equivalents if you're vegetarian, really important because they're important for our brain and, and for helping us stay healthy. Our brain is going through a lot of changes. Ah, oh, what does somebody want me to spell? A phytoestrogen? No, estrobolone, gut fire. Estrobolone. Oh, can I spell it? Um, an estrobolone looks... I think that's how you spell it. <laughs> my, spe my spelling might be, <laughs> a bit, a bit dodgy there, but yes. But so definitely those sorts of things we want to have in our diets. And I think we've heard that a bit, but supplements, fish oils, and I would absolutely advise vitamin D and also magnesium. Important because you know, our bones, particularly, we're much more prone to potentially osteoporosis in the menopause years. So we want to be taking sufficient uh, of those two you know, vitamins and minerals. And also magnesium is great if you can't sleep. And then I would say the other important things we can do to manage menopause is rest. You know, we think we're running on it's so busy, but rest, 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 rest and manage your stress. And, and you'll see in the, of the menopause guidelines that I mentioned earlier that often they'll talk about things like yoga, acupuncture, herbal medicine, and also the use of mindfulness or cognitive behavioral therapy as ways to manage your menopause. And they're all proven. They've all got scientific evidence and in Western medicine as well as some things like acupuncture and herbal medicine have been around for about two and a half, three thousand years. So I think, you know, they've proven it through usage over those years. But those are all ways that we can help to manage our symptoms and to manage our stress. And stress is a huge factor in our menopause because, you know, being stressed, the symptoms of stress of chronic or high levels of cortisol look almost identical to the symptoms of menopause and just compound it. And now I think we're beginning to talk about something called perimenopausal uh, adrenal fatigue, because as we go through perimenopause and intermenopause, of course, our ovaries are not um, doing their job so much anymore and producing estrogen and progesterone. And that function moves predominantly to our adrenals. So if we're stressed, we are still, we, we're not going to be producing as much of those hormones, which is not good for our longevity, for our staying fit and vibrant as we get older. And I'm going to just touch a little on mindfulness because I'm a mindfulness practitioner. I work a lot with my clients on mindful practices. Mindfulness is a wonderful approach for helping support our sleep. It works very well for anxiety for generalized stress, for mild to moderate depression. And I tend to work with it on the one hand in mindful practices where we give ourselves time to breathe and check into ourselves and see how we're feeling and clear a lot of the noise that's out of our heads. But I also use it as a way to think about how we structure our lives, um, not just being present in the present moment, which stops us 
the overthinking, but also setting up boundaries, working within the energy um, levels that we have and learning to plan and prioritize. So I think the important thing with man managing menopause is to work with all these different elements to do that and also to be aware of your own symptoms and what's going on in your body and being able to manage menopause because you know. And I'll use a hot flash as an example here. But for example, you have a hot flash. If you tr write down when you have a hot flash, but also write about the other things that are happening around it. Um, was there a particular meeting at work? Was it stressful? Um, what have I just eaten? What have I just drunk? Because our hot flashes are often triggered by other factors that you can control. And, and I think one of the ones is alcohol. Caffeine is another. And so by managing those sorts of things, or if you get very stressed just before a, rest, a race, then can you bring that down and, and manage that through mindful practices or changing something in your diet to help yourself? That's how we manage menopause as well, by being empowered and building up a little toolkit of dietary supplements, mindfulness practices, periods for rest that work for us. And I think we'll stop there and I'll, we'll go into the last bit. <laughs> Thank you, Clarissa. Well, and I, I think it's very important to see how everybody is, into, as I said, individual and put some of these things in your toolbox. And I think right now we're going to have a message from our sponsor, Rebecca. Nelson Kellerman Sports, NK. We all know the name. We all know the brand. And the leaders in the company include some very well-known women who are active in rowing and paddling. So whether you're looking to track your speed and distance or monitor your power output, or receive real-time feedback on your stroke rate, NK Sports can help you make the most of your training. Go and have a look at what they've got on their website, nksports.com. So, Clarissa, what are the positive sides of menopause? Well, you know, I think menopause, when you're on the other side, you probably look back and think, well, it wasn't that bad at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's not much help to you that, that, that are in it. But I do think that there is so much more than is just positive. We only hear the negative stories. And I do want to remind people that although there is 20% of women who do have a very difficult journey, there's an equal number of women on the other side, about 20%, who seem to go, oh, did that happen? And the rest of us tend to be somewhere in the middle. You know, there are bad times, there are good times. But what's positive is the change that's happening in us. You know, this is a time of life when we can start to ask, who am I and who do I want to be? It's almost like we're getting a chance to look at our purpose in life, to start to... Um, shape how we want our relationships to be, how we want our careers to be. You know, we can ask questions like, do I want to be in this job for the next 15 or 20 years? Or do I really want to now say, okay, I'm going to do something different. And somewhere along this journey, if we have families, then our families grow up and there's more time for us, more me time to do. So I think there's positives on that side. The other side is we our brains literally upgrade as we go through the perimenopause and menopause up. And that's been proven. I I interviewed the wonderful Dr. Luanne Brizendine, and she's written a book called The Upgrade about your brain. She's a world acclaimed psychiatrist. And it was just like our brains upgrade. We get sharper. We get more creative. And, of course, we get a lot feistier. We speak up for ourselves. Yes. <laughs> Not a bad thing because a lot of us have been way too nice. We're, we're, we're all a bit too nice and people pleasing because that's what society expects and now we don't have to do that we can be ourselves and I think learn to love ourselves and there's a whole generation of the most amazing women out there now who are showing us what it looks like in our 50s our 60s and our 70s and 80s and I mean my podcast I interviewed uh, somebody who was 93 and she was still life coaching and she didn't even begin 
to become a life coach or do any of these things until she was in her 60s and her children were grown up. So menopause is not the end. It's the beginning of a new chapter. And in Asian culture, it's always been called the second spring, where we should be able to step out. And I think we, in having this conversation and stepping up for ourselves, are definitely, you know, breaking down those barriers. Well, in, in rowing, Clarissa, master's age women is a very, very fast growing segment of our sport. And if you think about it, you know, there, there, there are women who start rowing when they're 50s. And, and if they're interested in just rowing for fitness and recreation and enjoying the outdoors, you know, they have potentially 30 years of rowing ahead of them. For women who are competitive, they, if, and they decide to race and compete, you know, we have, we have women competing now in the 80-year-old age group. And, 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 you know, women that we work with, they'll, they'll be 77 and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm trained. I can't wait till I turn 80 and I go into a new age group, you know? So, the, so the whole, the whole mentality is, is changing a lot. And I think the, the education and giving the people the tools to understand what's going mm -hmm. on is going to help them in this perimenopausal phase when your body starts to change, because that's when you have to get on top of the diet. That's when you have to get on top of the activity yeah. and the strength so that you manage manage the weight. And I know in my own life, I had no idea what was happening. And all of a sudden at 41 years old, boom, you know, you were 12 pounds heavier for no reason at all that yeah. I could understand. And, and if I had had some of this information a little bit earlier, you know, you, you would stay on top of that. What are these changes? Are you noticing things? Um, and, and it prevents this huge uh, weight on your mind, you know, when you, when you get to menopause and you're like, well, now how do I, you know, how do I quote dig out of this? And, you know, we don't want you to have to dig out of it, but understand no. what, what is going on. And many women, they, when they're doing ergometer tests, because, you know, if they're on a competitive team, they have to do trials and they have to do tests. Mm -hmm. And so often they will tell me, what I had a huge hot flash right in the middle of this test. What do I do? And the stress trigger tells us right there. Perhaps yeah. this is a stressful situation. It triggers something, and I, you know, I guess you go on as best you can. But it's so different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's it. That it's so different for everyone. And I think one of the first time I ever really talk public about this some with somebody wonderful she said menopause is a journey not a disease and I think that is what we should see it as a transition transitions by their nature can be challenging but that doesn't mean that we have to put on a victim mentality or then think we have to disappear this is the next this is the next chapter and to get there we have to go through this it's natural and yes we can get there and it's fantastic on the other side. So coming on the other side, the water's quite nice over here. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, Suzanne asks, does the brain fog fizzle out? Yes, it does. It just, it just goes once after a, about one to two years post your menopause, what you will see is that um, your brain will be quite clear again. And a lot of, if you've had anxiety, that tends to fade away as well. I mean, the brain is just different. So the brain fog for almost all of us is, is just something that does go and it's not linked to anything like dementia. So that's, that's I think, one of the important things. There's, there's no direct link. But our brains do look fuzzier during menopause, for sure. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the conversation book? Yes, let's go over your ebook. Yeah. So I'm giving away a little freebie ebook because one of the things I want us to know is that having conversations about our menopause is super important. We shouldn't be wandering around and we need to manage conversations. So in this ebook, I've put that in three sections. One is how do I get what I need from my clinician, which is 
pretty important. So how do I have a conversation with my doctor? And you'll see there that I put out some very important points about being prepared, you know, things like knowing the guidelines. You know, my, my biggest thing is to say to you, most clinicians have about seven to 10 minutes, unless you're very wealthy and you can afford to go to the most expensive private doctor and they give you longer consults. But you know, that's the time you've got. So you can't stand, come there and say, I've got, um, um, I don't feel very well. And, and, you know, because you're never going to get what you need. So coming prepared, knowing what's available, asking questions, saying things like, well, you know, this and this and this is happening to me. Could I be in perimenopause? And if you want hormone therapy, you can ask, am I a candidate for hormone therapy? You know, so we're, we're up front with our clinicians about what we want. And the second part is conversations at work. Now, we didn't have much time to talk about menopause at work, but it is important to advocate for a menopause-friendly workspace. There are things that employers have to do by law. And it is important that you also ask. And I think menopause at work is becoming a growing topic around the world. And employers are knowing that midlife women are one of their most important assets. We're making up a huge number of the workforce now. And, and so we can advocate for more menopause-friendly workplaces, more accommodation, because I don't want to see tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of women, as we're seeing in some places around the world, giving up their jobs or downgrading and not going for the promotions, not doing the things they want to do because of menopause. The world has changed and, and that's just being able to steer those conversations. And finally, I've put conversations that we can have with those closest to us because quite often, you know, if we have a partner, they don't always understand what's going on. So how do we have proper conversations about what we need from the, the loved ones in our life? And how do we have conversations with our children and other family members? So that's what this is about. I hope you can use the practical messages in this ebook to help you have the support that you need because we can't go this journey alone. I will be emailing a link to that ebook to you if you've signed up to watch by getting a ticket, reserving a ticket on Eventbrite. You'll get that directly. Um, there isn't actually a link that I can share right away, but rest assured the uh, video <laughs> recording and also that ebook are on their way to you. A couple of specific questions coming through for you, Clarissa. How can we control weight gain? How can we control weight gain? I think a lot of that is to do with our, our diet and our exercise balance. You know, the old adage, you can work it off, is not there. But it is about looking at, at your diet. One of the things you can do to manage your diet better is to look at your macros. And certainly increasing the amount of protein that we eat is going to help. Get If you have sugar, it has to go. It has to go. We are at much greater risk of being insulin resistant as we go through that because I'm sorry, estrogen, you know, does everything in our body, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But as we do that, we have to sort of take a hard look at some of the things that we could have got away with and remove them. I, I'm a big push of no alcohol or minimum alcohol as well. It, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't, our symptoms, lots of our symptoms don't go well with, with it. And that's things. So, it is, and some of it is also that we will put on weight and we we will have to sort of realise that we will put on a bit of weight as we get older, but that's okay. I think it's mainly also that we don't end up becoming an apple shape because that puts us at risk of, of more heart disease, of diabetes. So we may put on some weight, but we want it to be more dis distributed and, and definitely building muscle. And if you're already athletic people, that's going to be part of it. Making sure that uh, what we might have said, when long I've got nice skinny legs, I'd say, no, you don't want nice skinny legs now. <laughs> you, want, you, want more, you want more muscle uh, around it. Calcium, calcium, yes, but calcium with magnesium and vitamin D. So calcium alone is not sufficient from an osteoporosis perspective. You want to be sure you're having those other supplements too. 
<laughs> Not unusual. We usually love to talk about the opposite, but yes, that that is definitely something that can happen. We have that final surge of libido that comes through. Enjoy it, I would say. <laughs> Make the most of it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What fresh hell is this? That that's a very popular book, definitely, Emily. I've seen I've seen that around. I haven't read it myself, but it, yes, definitely. <laughs> I might not agree with hell. I just think it's just a challenge. <laughs> Clarissa, it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you. I have learned so much more than I thought I was going to because I thought I had read lots of things, but clearly. I've had a deficient education in this department. Oh, That's well, thank do, we a, do we have time for one more question? Yeah. Anne, Anne asks, are there any tips for increasing sleep quality and quantity? Ah, oh, yes, indeed. I mean, that, that might take us to the next bit, might it not, Rebecca? But sleep um, is a challenge at this time, I would say. And we definitely need to be deliberate about our sleep, not um, thinking we can do what we did with 20 and 30. Routines matter. When you eat matters. So making sure getting enough light into your eyes, there is a lot. I think that I would say we get very hung up about quantity and start going, it's got to be eight hours. The, the reality is that if we're getting about six hours of quality sleep in the through the night, then then that is going to be sufficient for most of us to be able to function and I, not to be hung up about the eight that we hear banded about. But yes, there is both practical things we can do in terms of our routines. Diet is very important, and and actually winding down. So the mindfulness part of it is there. Yeah, Noom, Noom can be good. I've seen that, Julie. Noom can be very good as a as a tracking. And I do think if we're unaware of a calorific, I've used it and I used it and I thought it was very helpful for me to um, lose some weight. So I, I'm a big fan of tracking, tracking everything, actually, <laughs> because then we know, you know, we know where we're at. It's very good at explaining what macros are, if, if that's not a way that you've ever thought about your food. So I would recommend, I think it gives you a, a fortnight's free trial or something. Yes. Um, okay, Suzanne, that is very controversial. HRT might be beneficial for joints. There is no evidence scientific evidence that it does anything for dementia the evidence is very messy i'm currently involved in an organization called meno clarity which includes people like anise Mukherjee and professor joyce harper and and also um, a number of other leading uh, clinicians and scientists around the world and we are quite clear that the evidence on vascular dementia is not sufficient for women to be placed on HRT and none of the recommended guidelines anywhere in the world see that a hormone replacement therapy is a preventative measure except for osteoporosis. So I, I would say that that jury is out on that. Thank you for the clarity on that. Now we've got one more thing to share with uh, everybody today which is a new service that we're offering, which is additional information about menopause. On the Faster Masters website, we've got a upsell with more information from Clarissa. And on the subsequent two uh, episodes of this webinar, we'll be adding even more. So let me run through the things that uh, are already waiting for you, should you choose to go and get more and want to learn more. Firstly, Clarissa is sharing a sleep diary, which will enable you to detail track exactly how you right now are addressing your sleep. Secondly, she's got a 40 minute long video, which she's recorded specially and exclusively for Faster Masters on getting your sleep back on track. And thirdly, there's a special offer of how to have an individual private conversation with you 
about you and your unique situation. If you go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash register forward slash menopause, the cost is $39. It is permanently there on your Faster Masters library, and you can use it as part of your education in rowing. You already know we've done lots of other things in the past. These things are forever purchases for you. So once you've got them, you can come back to them over and over again. Clarissa, do you want to clarify a little bit more about what's in detail in the sleep video? Indeed. In the sleep video, I talk a lot about um, what the issues are with sleep and why we don't sleep. I also talk, you know, from a hormonal perspective so you can understand why you have the issues you have. And then I talk about the different ways that you can help yourself to sleep better from both lifestyle perspective, diet, exercise and a whole series of things. So that really it is a guide that lets you start to take a bit of control yourself on sleeping well over and over. And in addition, there is some more information on, on the whole um, sleep diary. And I highly recommend on the sleep diary that you do it over two weeks and practice some of the tips and tools I have and see what happens and changes. There we go. I uh, was privileged, of course, to read it myself. Um, and it was really helpful because it helped me clarify some of my personal misunderstandings but also the framework of the diary tracking really helps you to have that core resource of information which you then might also take to your medical practitioner yes indeed indeed rebecca you're right or, or someone who's a specialist sleep coach um in there as well and i think there are many ways to manage sleep that i I work with my clients in that aren't just about bedroom hygiene. They're about lots, lots, lot more. Bedroom hygiene is important, but alone, if you're having sleep issues and sleep disruption, that's not going to cut it. Clarissa, it's been an absolute delight having you with us here today. To everyone who is watching and listening, we will be emailing you again. Firstly, with the wrap up from today, you're recording your free ebook the link if you want to buy the VIP upgrade. And secondly, I will send the correct link to <laughs> next week's webinar, where For we're welcoming an extremely well-known speaker called Marlene Royal, who's going to be talking about the physical side of menopause in rowing. Marlene, do you want to give a quick trailer of what you're going to be talking about? Sure. sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to, to build on and, and support some of the information that, that we've talked about with Clarissa today. And what I'm going to talk about is how menopause affects your ability to train and to recover, because we've talked a lot today already about stress levels and managing stress levels is really key. So I'm going to talk about what is recovery. There's a lot of levels of recovery. What's the scale of recovery time? How do we build that into our program? How do we uh, what are the red flags when things might not be going well? And I'm going to talk a bit about program changes that you can make to balance to balance your training and, and recovery. We'll also talk about why interval work, power work, and strength work is really critical, especially if you um, are concerned about body composition or your rowing performance. So we're, we're going to go over that in a, a little bit more detail and, um, and just talk, talk about some ways that you can put some interventions in your training um, with a case study to help you think about how am I organizing my training and how am I organizing my rest and what is the pattern of my weekly uh, sessions look like and can you change that to optimize that so that you know, you're not getting up at 4.30 every morning, seven days a week kind of thing. Getting enough sleep. It's interesting how the themes echo. The practical applications, though, are unique to us as rowers. Um, and I'm particularly looking forward to hearing a little bit more from Marlene, because those of us who've been following her programs for a few years, we don't ever see the insight that sits behind them. All we do 
is read what's on the page and being dutiful athletes, we do as coach tells us. What I think is going to be really interesting here is understanding the why and also what is different for you as you are aging. So you might have been doing Marlene's program for a month. I've been doing them for five years. I've already seen changes in myself that mean that my response to what appears to be an identical training session that I could have done five years ago is really significantly different today. So bring your questions. Bring your questions. Always bring your questions. Um, and do use the email if you have any specifics that you want to come back to us about today. And we will endeavor to get some answers um, from Clarissa, perhaps by email. So till next week, Clarissa, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for being with us. And for everyone else, we'll see you at the same time next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.